Welcome to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with host Lane Nordland. Hello and welcome to the NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast. This podcast is going to be talking about multiple topics impacting the entire beef industry here in the U.S. We're going to be talking with producers throughout the year on issues that impact their operations, but also we just want to share knowledge and also information to help make all the ranches across the nation improve their bottom lines and also just be more successful out there in the countryside. My name is Lane Nordland and I'm happy to be hosting this Cattleman's Call podcast and I'm joined today by three outstanding young producers and we're actually recording this show in Washington DC at the conclusion of the 2019 Young Cattlemen's Conference and for you listeners out there that have been on the Young Cattlemen's Conference you know that these three young men have had the opportunity to see all aspects of the cattle industry and also get to make some lifelong connections but uh, I'm going to introduce our lineup of ranchers here today, and of course, uh, from Nebraska, Reese Bruning. Thank you for, for joining us here today. Glad to be here. And also, uh, from my backyard there in the Gallatin Valley of Montana, Jake Fettis joins us. Jake, how, how are things going today? Very good. I'm ready to get back home and get back to work, though. After 10 days on the road on YCC, I totally understand. And our final guest is Sage Weston. I've known Sage for quite a few years. I interviewed him on Cattleman to Cattleman at the uh, 2017 Cattle Convention in Phoenix. Sage, how's your morning going? It's great. It's good to be talking with you again. Well, happy to have you with us. And today we really want to focus on the experiences that you've all gone through in the past few years as young and returning producers back to an operation, because that's just so easy to, to come home from college or wherever you've been, if, if you did leave the home operation for a little bit, just how easy it is to come back and just get into the fold of it all and, and just have those family dynamics run so smoothly. You can't see them, but they are, they are laughing right now. Uh, but uh, look, Jake, I'm going to start with you just because I've been to your operation before you raise uh, red Angus cattle, you market them not only in the United States, but, but internationally as well. But let, let's talk about your family operation, a little bit of your background and then, uh, those wonderful family dynamics that seem to be going pretty smooth so far. Yeah. So I actually didn't go off to college. I, uh, went to high school, graduated and came right back. And that was probably the worst choice I could have made. Um, you know, in, in all reality, I should have left for a while. Um, in, in the end, I did end up leaving for about five years. And and I wouldn't say that it was because my dad and I didn't get along. It was just I needed to get some experience in other things, uh, building leadership qualities, um, seeing different aspects of the world and the way business works. Because um, a lot of times, even though we call ranching a small business, we don't treat it like a business. Uh, it's the way we've always done it. This is how we're going to do it. This is who has always bought our calves. This is where we've always bought hay. This is how we're going to do it. And in my family situation, um, my my grandfather died at a young age. And so my dad never had to go through the father-son working situation. He was in college when his dad died. And and uh, once he passed away, Dad came back to the ranch, and so he he never really had to deal with that dynamic. He was on his own, which, I mean, very honorable, and I have an immense amount of respect for my father because of that. 
but it's also created a, a whole new father-son dynamic in the workplace for us. Um, and I left, I came back, and been back about four years, and it's been it's been really good. We butt heads sometimes, but I think me going out and getting some other experiences and, and learning different sides of things that he never got to do has created a, a respect that he has for me, and he values my opinions. Are they always right? No. Does he always listen? No. But he listens most of the time. <laughs> um, so so it's been it's been good. It's it's been tough at times, um, but for the most part, it's it's been good. Now uh, I'm going to jump over to Reese. Now uh, you're from Nebraska. Tell us a little bit about your operation and uh, and uh, the family dynamics. And of course, we're going to keep coming back to to our guests here today. But uh, Reese, uh, the floor is yours. Sure. Uh, well, I'm in South Central Nebraska, in a town called uh, Bruning, and uh, our operation is called Bruning Farms. We just uh, have a small seed stock and feedlot operation and uh, a ranch that my grandpa's put together over the years for us to have and uh, family dynamics sort of uh, my grandpa he's uh, in his early 90s and um, my dad's uh, late 60s getting there and uh, I'm at the operation every day with the employee and another half employee that works on the other entity that the operation is a uh, feedlot fencing business that we sell raw materials and gates for um but for the most part it's uh myself and another employee and my wife to help out uh do the day-to-day -day stuff and uh, my wife does a lot of office work and uh jumps in when we need her and um grandpa's still around and sharper than i'll ever be so he's got a lot to say he says his uh, job now is to just breathe heavy at the meetings but he provides <laughs> a lot of a lot of good insight and um a really good perspective and point of view because he's seen a lot in his time and uh as has my dad, and so it's great to have those uh, help around to make a decision and such. Yeah. A lot of experience and knowledge there that, that you can gain from, and yeah. I look forward to hearing more about that, but continuing on with our introductions here. Sage Weston from uh, Utah. I met We met when you were a student at Utah State University, at uh, and you were you were part uh, an ambassadorship or what was that leadership program you were a part of when we met in Utah or at, at uh, in Phoenix there at the convention so yeah I was uh, I was a beef ambassador for the state I uh, run through the Utah cattle women's program um, my mom was a uh, was in charge of that program at the time and, and she talked me into uh, putting in an application and trying out for that position I ended up getting it and I I enjoyed it I'm actually still I've got one more year of school so I'm not technically back at the ranch yet but that's that's the end goal is for for me and my wife to end up back there as, as soon as we can and and to work with with the family yep so so jake jumping jumping back here to you thank you gentlemen for introducing yourselves and a little more on your operations but jake you were talking about going away for five years um do you want to talk about what that career was and then you know coming back to the ranch and maybe having that uh that experience that being out on the ranch is pretty worthwhile when, when you've been separated for a little bit. Yeah, so I went down to southern Wyoming for a while, and we AI'd, custom AI'd cows and heifers for other ranchers. Uh, we did, we averaged five to 6,000 a year. Um, a decently good-sized crew. There was several people on it. Um, great experience. I got to see more cattle than I even knew existed. Uh, let alone breed that many. 
so that was a, a really great experience to bring back. And then I ended up going down to Boise, Idaho and worked for a landscaping company, which was way out of my wheelhouse. Uh, so I had to get my bearings and, and get a hold on that business. Um, and I had 25 guys under me and ran the whole business because my boss liked to go to Vegas and Phoenix and Mexico a lot. And, uh, you know, and, and during my time there, uh, you know, you really had to learn about efficiency, something we don't focus on the, uh, on the ranch uh, in a typical instance. Uh, you know, we'll send three or four guys out to go fence when maybe we should send one guy out to go fence and have three guys doing other things. And there I, I had to have, you know, two guys at this job site, three at this job site, four at this job site, you know. And uh, really learn how to make it as efficient as possible when I got there. The first year I was there, we grossed about $900,000. The year I left, we were over $2.4 million with no additional employees. So just added efficiency, figuring out how to make the processes go better. And all of those things I could take back and relate to the ranch. Um, I, I would say it's probably one of the bigger hurdles my father and I have had to cross is figuring out efficiency. Um, and, and with my ideas from that business and other things that I've done, trying to get him to see that we don't need three guys to fence. One guy can run a fence stretcher and pound staples and have two other guys doing other things. I I always ask him why we have to go around holding hands. Uh, and I, I don't know if he appreciates that a whole lot, but I, I kind of get a chuckle out of it. Um, and the whole time I was gone, I did have cows on the ranch, and I would go back and help and stuff. It's not like I left for good, but it I, I needed to go do something different for a while. So how was it at first, though, addressing that conflict and sharing that opinion? Because my, my dad's saying always is, did you learn that in college? <laughs> he, he always gets that dig in there. Yeah. You just got to keep quiet, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, no, and, and he said similar things to me when I'd say something. Well, did you learn that over there in the city? Is that what they do over there where all the people live? Um, but, no, it, it was hard at first every time i'd you know we'd be making our plan in the morning or, or texting and talking about it i'd be like well why don't we have one guy do that and one go do this and one go do that and i'd get a text back like what are you talking about it takes all three of us we i'm like no it doesn't and we'd argue um and, and there were some pretty heated discussions in the beginning um you know and, and we've learned how to work through them not that we're great at conflict resolution, but we have tried to get better. Um, and, and, you know, I think most of it comes down to communication. As much as ranchers and ag producers and, and farmers don't want to talk about their feelings, in this situation where we're young and coming back and we respect our dad and we want a mutual respect, and not the same level of respect, but we want a mutual respect, um, we do have to talk about our feelings. And we have to say, hey, you know, I think we should do this. And, and when you tell me that, it makes me feel this way. And you may not get a response for the first six months. But going after that, going beyond that, they are going to realize that they are going to realize that you know things that they don't. You've done things they haven't. And they're going to see your side of it. Now, for Reese, for you, uh, going back, you're, you're talking about, of course, your wife's involved in the operation, your dad's still around, your grandpa's still around, which is really neat at the end of the day to have multi-generations on that ranch. Um, 
what, what were some of those conflicts that you experienced going back? Jake pretty much highlighted the ones I was thinking of. I was just going to write them down so I wouldn't forget them. But uh, no, the the biggest thing was communication and, and different management styles and, and planning things out like that. Uh, communication is huge. It's, it's it's not that we're a generation of softies that need patted on the back and, and, and guided along the way. It's, it's just we've we've been exposed to so much, just seen so many different things, and, and we know working for other people and, and being other places, there's different management styles and different thought processes behind running an operation so when when we're given a task or we assign a task or however or we plan our day and manage things it's it's uh just thorough communication is is really important because if, if something's in, uh, just taken the wrong way even out of context the slightest way and puts somebody in a bad mood it, it can wreck it can really put a lot of stress on a family operation and just just a couple of days of those really can build up and if, if nobody ever talks about them like you're heading for a, a pretty serious uh situation so Communication was the biggest thing, and then uh, management and listening. I going with communication. I'm not very great at listening because I like to think because I've seen so much and been different places that I know what's right. But obviously, I don't think everything's right. I know is right, but uh, um, just uh, being able to listen and, and uh, process information that that we're given and uh, different reasons why we've done things the way they're always done, and um, taking that into consideration when we're making our decisions now sage as you said you have a little a few more semesters there at, at utah state what, what's that dialogue been with your family about going to college learning the different uh, uh educational materials that you can bring back to improve your family's operation what what's been the open dialogue maybe even coming back from on holiday uh talking with them sharing some new ideas have your has your family been open to those or <laughs> yeah no absolutely um well first off it was it's a requirement you know grandpa and dad they say if if we want to come back to the ranch we have to go get a get a, uh, get a degree and and I respect that I didn't get it at first I wanted to just stick around I didn't want to leave but now that I've I've stepped out and away from it and I'm looking back on it that I I appreciate that they've they've uh, influenced me in that way um I'm in a similar situation to Reese. I, I've got, there's three generations still working on the ranch with me and my dad and my grandpa and, and my dad's brother's there too. He's a, he's a large part of it. And, um, they are, they're very open to, to these new, new opportunities for growth, new, new technologies. They're always looking to improve the operation in any way they can. Um, it's, it's hard to find the balance between where we get the old techniques and the new techniques to flow together and find the the cohesiveness in in this this industry but but the fact that they're trying and that they're willing to look into it speaks a lot about them and and i think about the industry in general how we're all trying to to influence or let this new technology influence us so that we can be uh well like we've been talking about the last 10 days the most sustainable that we can be and and the most efficient like like jake was talking about I could build off the, just Definitely. a little bit of thing I thought of when you were talking, Sage. The old techniques and the new techniques, uh, we need to remember coming home that uh, our grandpas and our dads, at some point, they came home just like us and imp tried so hard to implement new things and new machinery and, and new uh, new practices. And, and so it, for them, it's pretty fresh in their minds, and it seems like when we come home and just start cranking and changing things and throwing out these ideas, it's pretty stressful that they were twisting their baby and yeah trying to adjust it right no absolutely and and i love to sit back and watch my dad and my grandpa work and my uncle and 
to see just how smart and and how well they they do they work really good together those three and I think we have the same problems that, that everybody has like you like you guys were talking about with communication I think that's probably a worldwide problem but the knowledge that these these older generations have is something that I I sometimes I almost feel like I'm not even worthy like I just want to sit back and watch how they do it and just and soak it in and learn as best I can yeah so just we're talking about old techniques and new techniques here's a little fun story for you uh, about seven or eight years ago we decided we need to get some sort of a cattle, cattle management software um, to use and you know we just got EPDs and pedigrees and it's they keep adding more and more numbers more and more indexes EPDs to keep track of so we made the decision that Microsoft Excel was not going to cut it anymore and so we we sat down as a family and kind of looked at some different programs and we picked one and we all thought it was great um, and it was the most difficult thing to run I mean, the most, the least user-friendly computer program I've ever used. And we tried. We all tried at different times to really push that and, and get the information entered and take care of it and be on the ball. And uh, we just kind of let it go away and didn't use it. it. It was too difficult. So then when I came back, I started looking at different programs, and I finally found one I liked. And <coughs> I went to my dad, and I said, hey, you know, I, I really like this program. I think it will work out well. And it's cloud-based. And he looks at me and he goes, what in the hell is cloud-based? And I said, well, it, it's not the clouds up there, Dad. This is, well, it is up there. You know, it's all, all the information somewhere. But we can access it from the computer, the iPad, the iPhone, all this. The cloud is a hard thing for them to grasp. <laughs> it's very difficult. Um, you know, and I think that's part of what we were talking about, too, is we, with all the new technologies, you know, they don't understand what we're talking about, so it takes time to explain it. Um, long story short, we started using that program. For the first year and a half, I did all the entries. I took care of all the data. Finally, in the last six months, Dad's been looking into it. He came up to me two weeks ago, and he goes, that program works really good. <laughs> I love that cloud. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just you know an example of the new techniques and old techniques and technologies and, and how our industry is evolving and, and trying to show them. And my dad's one of those guys you can tell him 20 times, and it won't go anywhere. But once it's his idea, it'll be implemented within a week. Well, with that, I mean, time goes so fast. You blink, and it's already 10 years down the road. So, so Jake, you have kids at home. What, what are you thinking when you're having that conversation with your dad about the cloud? I, I know it's even you don't even want to think about those kids growing older, but what what is in in the back of your mind saying you know, it's twenty years from now we're going to be in the same boat. Hopefully they want to be involved with this. How does that change your mindset and how you even work with your dad and then how you're working with your kids today? Whew, way to throw a hard one out there. Um, twenty years from now, you know I, I it's it's not going to be much different. It, the technology will, but I think the way that we have to handle it and the way ha we have to transfer that the power and uh, transfer the respect between generations is not going to be a whole lot different. Um, when I look at my grandma, she went through the Great Depression, and I, I look at that from where she came from, the Great Depression, to 
having an iPhone before she died. I I don't know, and and unless I'm not seeing the future the way I should, I don't think we'll ever see the kind of technological advances that 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 generation saw. And we don't think about that because we've got Snapchat. The next day we've got Twitter and Facebook, and, and all these different technologies that come out all the time. But think about what that generation went through. I mean, just the advances. Yeah, we might have a watch that we can talk on and watch movies on, but it's uh. I don't know where the technology is going, but I do think that in the family business, we're going to have to handle it the same way. Um, the one thing I'm going to try to do when looking at my relationship with my dad and coming back and the way I'd like to make that work with my kids is I, I would try like to try to be more open um, than maybe what my dad has. But I think all three of us would, probably all four of us would say that, you know. But I guess for me, that's the biggest thing is trying to be open and and, you know, I honestly don't know if any of my kids will want to come back. Um, I know my daughter, she, she wants to go to, be a, go to school and be an x-ray tech. She doesn't want anything to do with the ranch. Could that change? Yeah. My son's still stuck that he's going to play NBA basketball. I've tried to tell him he's not quite tall enough, nor is he fast enough, but he doesn't listen. So um, my hope is that, that one of them will come back, but it's one of those things you just got to wait and see. I immediately pictured these uh, lift scooters going around your operation, <laughs> herding cattle. Here I'd in, like here, it. Here <laughs> in D.C., we've been using uh, these lift scooter share app deals, and it's pretty fun to see through a crowd of tourists these cowboy hats about two feet taller than everybody else zipping around and weaving, doing jumps <laughs> off curbs. Or the White House security coming out saying, you cannot stop in front of the White House on the scooter. That was a pretty good experience <laughs> last night. <laughs> But, Reese, for yourself, uh, where would you like to see your operation go? Yeah, that's a, whoa. Well, hopefully just further develop into where it can, right now we have about two or three entities in the family just supporting one another, and that's that's great, and they have to be diversified to do that. But just further grow itself to a point where uh, where it can support it and the families with it and uh, an employee and give back to fairly to the family and um the employee also and and just uh just kind of keep with doing what we're doing that's uh breeding for cattle that we we think is right for the industry and um always doing the right thing well friends we're going to take a quick sponsor break but when we come back we'll we'll return with sage reese and jake continuing to talk about coming back to the ranch learning more about the industry and uh you know just providing a, a future for their families and for the livestock industry here in the united states we'll be right back with ncba's cattleman's call right after this run with us in the unstoppable john deere gator xuv 835 and be prepared to go the extra mile because when others take rain checks we take the wheel with factory installed three wide seating, heat and AC, the XUV835 is our coolest, most comfortable gator yet. Nothing runs like a deer. Run with us. Welcome back to the NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast. This, of course, is our maiden voyage with the Cattleman's Call podcast. And I'm joined by three outstanding members of the livestock industry Reese Brunane from Nebraska, Jake Fettis from Montana, and Sage Weston from the great state of Utah. And, and Sage, you're still going to school there at uh, Utah State uh, University, and uh, you're married, and you talked about just being inspired watching the multiple generations on your ranch work. Um, let's talk about your wife. 
her her background and kind of bringing her into the family operation there. What's that like? Still being in college, but also having that uh, that goal of going back to the ranch and, and raising your family there. I wanted somebody that had the same aspirations as me, um, and she she was very adamant about having a ranch, having having agriculture in her life. Um, she wanted that for her kids. She grew up pretty involved in it. Her her family in the past had had a farm, had a dairy farm, had some cows. Um, due to some things in, in that went on there, they ended up having to sell that. And her dad is an ag teacher. She did rodeo in high school, and, and it was the the fact that she wanted the same things I wanted. She wanted to pre- be able to have that. And the thing that I'm seeing with her is she's got she's got a big motor. She wants to be very involved, and I think that that's exciting for me because, you know, hopefully one day it's, as a family operation, as, as Jake says, it's a family business. And she had the same dreams, the same wants that I had, and, and that that really pushed it over for me. I really, that's what made me want to seal the deal with her. I, I uh, She kind of caught me at an interesting time in my life. I was not wanting to get married. I was not ready for that. And she she snuck up on me and, and uh, got me to fall onto her side of things. But... Like I said, her her family's uh, her family's great. Her family works uh, works on agriculture. They build a lot of fence. They have a fencing company, and they all work together. They have a very strong family bond with uh, the 4-H side of things. They work with show animals a lot, show sheep mainly, and, and a few steers here and there. And so, what's been fun is to watch her learn a different aspect, which is what we've been doing all week here at, at the YCC tour is learning different aspects of the industry. But she's able to see. The producer side she didn't have a ton of experience with that so the very first time i brought her around we were we were branding calves in the spring and i didn't know much about her we'd been dating maybe a month month and a half and i i took her out there to i guess to test water see how she would do and she my dad didn't think anything about it he just gave her the shots so she was given calves shots and come to find out afterwards the needles used to make her a little woozy she didn't necessarily like that but she didn't want to be embarrassed about not uh you know she didn't she wanted to look up to par for my family so i i think that's that was commendable for her to be able to to step up and overcome well one thing i noticed uh i've been married just over a year now and uh we branded the weekend after our wedding last may memorial day weekend and it was the first time my dad was a complete gentlemen the whole time we whether it was sorting cows off who is that guy yeah and i'm just like and we had transitioned from rope and drag to actually a hydraulic table which totally saved my parents marriage is how my mom puts it just because i think the main thing is is we can hear each other oh yeah Yeah. (laughs) you're standing next to your dad yes but i i just always laugh every time i love when uh course myself being in broadcasting for my main career i get back to the ranch as much as i can but i love having my wife there when we are preconditioning sorting whatever we're doing because my dad is a complete gentleman which i'm just (laughs) like that is his kryptonite (laughs) but reese uh let's talk about your 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 wife's involvement and uh, i wish we had some wives here too because that could be a totally different podcast yeah we could have like the dating game or you know (laughs) yeah that'd be a oh man that'd be i think we all after 10 days wish we had our wives here yeah (laughs) but to hear their point of view would be very interesting as well (laughs) um she's so she grew up just uh about hour and a half away from me we just across into kansas and never knew each other until college but uh she was always always like 
like Sage mentioned, just like a uh, big engine is a good way to describe her. She's really a go-getter. She's really good at marketing advertising. She uh, she did a lot of uh, some catalog work and uh, magazine work at the at college there at K-State. And when we came home, we we saw that we were putting all this work into our cows and uh, using AI and, and trying to sell bulls private treaty in, in the heart of saturated bull country and it just wasn't working trying to sell an animal from january 1st till july 30th um so she we just kind of made the decision that, that we we're going to start a production sale and we did and she she took full full uh control of just uh marketing and uh everything we do with uh how we um show ourselves to everybody else and it's really stuck out because her her point of view is really great she's she grew up with cattle but not in this sector of cattle so uh she has a great point of view and um, likes to implement technologies like a, like something like a software for cattle management, which has gone gone pretty well. And and uh, just a fresh point of view with a, a lot of passion about the industry and, and our operation and family operation as well. Now, Jake, I know you met your wife at parent-teacher conferences. <laughs> what? Well, it wasn't quite what? parent-teacher <laughs> conferences, uh, but it, it's not a whole lot better sounding than that. Um, our story is crazy. Um, so we were actually born three days apart in the hospital at the same time, in the same hospital. That's where it all started. Uh, yeah, I mean, the love started then, little did we know. Uh, but anyway, we actually didn't meet till we were, meet again until we were 34 years old. Uh, we went to school about 10 miles apart from each other, and actually her dad and grandpa had an apiary business, um in the valley there a pretty good sized one and they actually had bees on our ranch and i can remember when i was five six years old they would come out in the spring to put the beehives out and they'd come to the house first and get me and take me out to where they were putting the hives out and they'd show me what they were doing and and uh you know the school that she went to the guys from my school always had a crush on so we knew who all the girls that were athletes were um you know, we'd, we'd always talk about them, and she was one of the ones that we'd always talk about. Uh, well, the one that I talked about, but every, every guy had their own girl, you know, that they liked from there. <laughs> district basketball tournaments were such a great thing in the wintertime. Oh, man. It was, district was great. <laughs> um, then she got a college scholarship for basketball and track and went to, uh, actually, Boise, where I moved to later on, and went to school there, and got her teaching degree, um, and uh, eventually she decided she wanted to move back home and teach, and that was about the time I decided I wanted to go to Boise and get away, uh, and then I came back, and she actually uh, had my son in her fourth grade class, and he called me one day and said, Dad, why don't you come for, come for lunch? Take me some pizza to school. So I did, and I met him for lunch, and we got done eating. He goes, come meet my teacher. I said, Okay. You know, and I was assuming he'd have a 50-year-old teacher that was married and had kids my age. School marm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. And uh, I walk in the door, and I go, whoa, buddy, that's your teacher? <laughs> and, I mean, that was day one, and that was <laughs> the start of the rest of my life. And, you know, I had to make some excuses to see her again. Uh, the The story's pretty funny. I won't go into it. But eventually I got her to hang out with me and spend a little time with me and uh, – we got married not too long after that, and it's been the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Um, as far as her involved in the business, she is still teaching 
Um, the school she teaches at is 10 miles away from the ranch or so. She teaches fourth grade. Uh, loves it. That is her passion. That is the only thing that she wants to do at this point. Um, you know, on the weekends and in the summertime, she comes out to the ranch and, and she helps when she can. But, I mean, ultimately, teaching is what she wants to do. Um, you know, when she gets done with that, she wants to be on the ranch full time when, when she can retire and have a retirement. But for now, that is where she's at and that's her passion. So I, I let her do that and I make her come drive tractor on the weekend. That's an awesome story. It's pretty good. There's more details, but we won't get into all of them. <laughs> well, and, and I remember when uh, I had first really been around your wife was uh, we had the Chileans, I believe, up on, yep. a, on a beef trade mission with the Montana Department of Agriculture. We did a TV story out there. But then there was a vegan rally in Bozeman, Montana, and Jake actually organized all these efforts to gather ranchers to advocate for the industry because the vegans were having this panel on this processing facility that uh, didn't include anyone from agriculture. It was all radical vegans. And your wife came down to that, and uh, she, she, she was just saying, you know, I've never seen this aspect of it. And she uh, she learned so much along the way. Mm -hmm. But that was a that was a, a, a an effort as a married couple to come down, and your family saw that. And uh, it was really great to, to see all those people come together and advocate for the industry in downtown Bozeman, Montana, which is we call Boz Angeles now. <laughs> yeah. I think that's what's so important about bringing in our wives and, and other aspects of it is they just bring a, a softer touch that that we can, We sometimes we just miss. We don't have it or their ideas, we, we would never even have thought about it. And I think that the, the different aspects that they bring are, are vital for, for what we do. It, yeah. keep, it keeps you from falling in to what you've always done right. when you get home because you're used to that for 18 or better years of your life. It's pretty easy to come home and fall into what you've always been doing. And then Keeps us humble, too. Have, have somebody side by side with you. You're being your cheerleader, your, mm -hmm. your proponent is pretty great. Well, in earlier race, you know, the, the word was communication. Yeah. How is communication, it's, it's different than with your, your dads or your grandpas <laughs> or your moms. How's that changed on your operation, communicating with your, your wives and, and kids? Well, uh, definitely being more thorough and more explanatory about things because they don't haven't always been there. They haven't always, you know, known where all the places are and what you're doing exactly. And so it definitely has to break down what you're doing and further describe what you're doing and when and why. And uh, a little less yelling because I want to be getting along with my wife. And you no, know, we actually end up we really sort cattle really well. Everybody jokes when we go to work cattle. They say, "Oh, just yell at each other all day," or "How many times do you yell at you?" And, we at, we really work pretty well together, and uh, um, there's no not much yelling anymore. <laughs> well, you know, uh, uh, here's a segue too. I would encourage everyone to get Beef Quality Assurance certified. Yes, that's a great program that uh, so so many people uh, partake in. But but it, and it's a great plug. But at the end of the day, it's so amazing what you can pick up from yeah. uh, the the outstanding cattlemen like Dr. Ron Gill, totally. uh, Kurt Pate. Uh, and all those individuals who help do that. So that's a plug there. That's a little commercial segue if we can promote that. But uh, for more information on Beef Quality Assurance, go to eqa.org. That's my radio voice, guys. But I, I, I'm going <laughs> to kind of transition into kind of how do you bury the hatchet? What hatchet? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's a good response. But, you know, we were talking about communication, but there with communication there is conflict, and whether that is with your spouse, with your dad, what, what are some ways where you've literally just had to take a deep breath 
and just let your parents or whoever you're working with just say what they have to say and then go down the road, maybe explain something differently. Ha- what are some of those experiences that you've been through? R- Reese, I'll let you take that one as well. But that's that's a question for all three of you. Okay. Well, uh, just back to the changes thing is the first thing that jumps out to me, but uh, a specific one. Um, probably just uh, embryo transfer, trying to get that implemented and duplicating our best females. Um was a huge, why are we doing this? Um, so it just kind of, it turns in, turned real into really just uh, setting it up, doing it, and then asking for forgiveness later. <laughs> because there wasn't, I, I made PowerPoints and handouts just to help walk for through. For your family. Yeah, just help to walk through why we're doing this. It's going to cost money, but here's why we're doing this. Because it was going to be quite a while before we see the fruits of our labor here. So, um, yeah, we tried tried doing that and actually just with how my dad is he's he's a reactionary um active person so if you throw something at him he's gonna manage it and handle it but if if we sit and talk about it for a long time it's just kind of goes by the wayside it's not always taken 100 percent seriously or i wanted to take on 100 percent ourselves so just different uh that that was just yeah something we have to just most of the time just do it and ask for forgiveness but um there are better ways about doing that. Don't run your whole business that way. But <laughs> yeah. Sage, Sage, what are some of those conflicts that you've had to work with and get resolved? So for me, I'm working with my three biggest heroes. You know, my Uncle Joey, he's he's eight years older than me. He's been, I'm the oldest in my family, my immediate family, so he's been my big brother. Growing up, I've I've looked up to him my whole life. And and uh, my grandpa, obviously, and my dad, obviously, they're they're huge role models in my life. And so, I think a struggle for me personally is is the confidence to take these ideas to these heroic figures in my life and and do so confidently in hopes that that I can find something that'll work. Or, or and my mom's a great example. She's always bringing new ideas, fresh ideas of how maybe we can market this this way or or. or or sell like grass-fed beef. She wants to get into something like that, but there's always there's for me that's that's the biggest problem is to how how am I to find the confidence to to talk to these people that I've I've looked up to for my whole entire life and and to have the knowledge. I don't you know sometimes I feel like I don't have the knowledge that they have. Like I was mentioning earlier, to watch watch them work and to see what they know. It's it's incredible. So. That's probably been my biggest conflict that I've, I'm still I'm still trying to to get over is how to yeah how to communicate I guess is what it comes back yeah. to with them. Yep. And Jake, I mean you've I mean you are on a lot of international trips as well. How you market your bowls as well. So you're on the road a lot too. How did your dad deal with that? Not well. Uh, this is the first trip I've gone on where he said, yeah, this is a good idea. You should do that. Um, I have taken several uh, international trips with the Montana Department of Agriculture. And every time, this is how it goes, I, I talk to him about it. He won't give me a yes or no. He won't give me an answer at all. He just pushes off the discussion. And then it comes up to time where I have to make a commitment and I tell him, hey, I got to know by tomorrow, what are we doing? Do you want me to do this? Do you not want me to? No response. So I just say yes to the trip. And I uh, 
lay the schedule on his desk. <laughs> it's usually how it goes. Uh, then we fight for a little bit, and then he gets over and thinks it's a good idea because I've, I have sold a bunch of our genetics down to South America and uh, Central America and made him some money, so then he thinks it's a good idea. But um, It's nice to know it's a great universal trip planning because that seems like how it goes here, too. I just write it on the calendar, and when he sees it, we discuss it. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I think it's very common. Um, you know, and, and part of the issue with him and me going on these trips is that he never had any of these opportunities because when his dad died, they got the half of the ranch. He and my mom got the half of the ranch that didn't have a house, didn't have a barn, didn't have corrals, zero infrastructure whatsoever. And we're talking 1983, interest rates at 20%. Yeah. Yep. I mean, they struggled and struggled and struggled. And, you know, it was just him. They couldn't afford a hired man forever, so it was just him and my mom. And he never got to leave. He was at the ranch seven days a week. They took Sunday morning to go to church, and that, that was his time away from the ranch. And so now that we've got a hired man, it's myself and the hired man and my dad, um, we do have that freedom to come and go a little bit. Dad's on the National Red Angus Board, so he goes down to Denver quite a bit for, for meetings, for board meetings. Um, but I, I, I do think that's part of the reason that he struggles with it is because he never had the opportunities that I've gotten to uh, participate in in the last four or five years. Um, and a lot of that all stemmed from being in Leadership Montana program. Um, I met a lot of great people and kind of became an advocate for beef. And and uh, a lady at the Department of Ag saw that and, and uh, chose to take me on some trips. And and it's it's been tough, but this, this is one trip he, when I proposed it to him and I said, hey, I'm gonna apply for this trip, he looked at me and he said, you need to do this. Um, so that was actually pretty cool. Like we're kind of making a, a transition to where he's seeing the benefits of doing some of these other things and that the work we have to do is not just on the ranch. Um, I also work for Superior, so I'm gone a lot for that too. So uh, I would say between him and my wife, I, I get a lot of flack about being away from home. You know, I, I always find it interesting. You know, you bring up the 1980s and how the interest rates, how the recession, I mean, totally changed the landscape of rural America and how youth were sometimes not even encouraged to come back to the farmer ranch. And I even look back to my grandpa's siblings. I think a lot of kids in that family, and I think only two or three of them came back to the family operation because, you know, after the Depression, you know, everyone, and you move into the 50s, everyone wanted that suburbia life. And so many people weren't encouraged to come back to the farmer ranch. And I look at that now, and it's so disheartening. And that's why ranches did get a lot bigger and farms, too, because there was less people out there. So I guess the, that, that brings up the point. Will you be encouraging more of your, uh, your, your children to go on opportunities like this, to be involved, um, and just encourage them to come back to the ranch? Not force them, because I know you mentioned your, your kids at this point don't want that. But for, for the three of you, wh where do you see yourself encouraging other people to become involved in agriculture? Because for the past many many decades people just weren't really encouraged to say you need to be come back to the ranch it was you need to go get a college education become a lawyer that and that's my view of it but i think it's a pretty realistic view of what rural america looked like i, I just kind of see it as the the boomerang method like throw them out into the world get experiences network come back but also do things like this go out and expand your network and continue to, to uh, maintain your network intact because it's the days of 
because of uh, advancements in technology and, and the times, uh, uh, it's a uh, less people and uh, there's a lot more opportunities for us for marketing things in our business. And it's it, the staying home and, and breaking your back every day just to build your operation physically is that phase is kind of just through the maintenance part now, I believe, just where we're at. And it's a lot easier to do because of equipment and, and employers, employees and such. But uh, that's so now we're able to go out and do what it is. It's a people business and just and maintain those contacts and grow those. I think Jake and I are probably in a pretty similar situation with this. I've, me and my wife have been looking at land. We're trying to help my dad and the ranch grow and, and be a part of it and, and buy into it where we can, you know. But the land itself is is hard to to come into agriculture. It's it's kind of turned into a rich man's game. You can't you can't just buy a ranch and you you know not that you really ever could, but now it's it's you kind of got to have something other than cows to supplement it. And it, that's kind of what my dad's encouragement was when he was telling us to go get a degree. He wants us to be able to come back and help him build it. So you, you asked the question, how do we encourage people to come into agriculture? I'm I'm facing that. How do I bring myself back into agriculture and and it's it's tough but i think that there's good programs such as the ycc that help us get our feet on the ground and and foot in the door so that we can grow in this industry and become active have any of you three utilized fsa and any of the uh, uh beginning former rancher loans or direct loans to bu to buy land or have have you guys looked at any of that I've, I've looked into it, and I, I definitely plan on using an FSA loan in the future, probably when I get out of school next year. Uh, my dad kind of calls it his ace in the hole because me and my brothers, we all have our FSA loans, that, and we're all willing to to go to a certain amount of debt to to be in this industry. But that is uh, that's kind of our goal. We all want to be able to do it, and I think that, that's a good opportunity to get in. Uh, on that lane, you referred earlier to Bozeman as being Bose Angeles, uh, where non-irrigated ground that is decent ground but not great ground is bringing $13,000 an acre. And if you're within a mile of city limits and could potentially be annexed, you're 30000 an acre. There is no way to purchase land for agriculture uh, in the Gallatin Valley. Um, I was going through a process to try to get some sub-irrigated ground bought through FSA. The only way I could make it work was uh, to get a conservation easement on it and try to get some of my initial investment back. Um, FSA does not allow you to do that. So that pretty much shot down my chances of buying land in the Gallatin Valley. But on the other hand, I, I do think it's a phenomenal program and one that people need to utilize because there is no other way to get into the business at this point. Yep. And speaking of those conservation easements, some people like them, some people don't in agriculture. It's pretty straight down the line whether you support them or you don't is uh, the experience I've had with it. But it is an opportunity, though, to expand your operations from our operation. We, we have a conservation easement through U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, a very pretty liberal easement at the end of the day, but it helped us expand. Um, but... Those are just kind of thinking outside of the box too. How, how do we how do we keep it in regenerative agriculture? Because that's that's the new word. You know, sustainability is kind of out the window now on on it terms. It's now regenerative agriculture. Uh, I guess we were talking about those loans expanding. What are your goals 
I mean, I, Sage, I think we know yours. We, we just talked about that. But what would your goals be to expand and include your family? Or, or is expansion even, you know, in the picture? You know, we, or I, want to uh, continue to expand in our valley. I don't think there is a way for me to purchase more land at this point. Um, we do have neighbors that are getting older. And like many uh, in the older end of our industry, their kids aren't wanting to come back. They can make more money being an attorney, an engineer, getting a degree and going to the city. Um, so on on our operation, I think we will have the ability to expand um, in the next 10 years just through leases and rented ground. Um, it won't be from purchasing land, I know that, but I'm working on a couple deals right now. Of some older guys, um, you know, and that's really taken, because they, because that land is worth so much money, they can sell it and retire, so it's taken some uh, ingenuity and, and figuring out other ways, not just, hey, this is what I can pay you for a lease, but, hey, why don't you stay there and live there, and I'll give you this amount until the day you die. You know, kind of an extended lease deal so that, that they're assured. Um, so it's, you know, some different practices and leasing, some different ideas uh, to try and get that done, but that's, that's the only way we're going to expand. But I I want to keep getting a little bigger, um, bring my kids into it. I think as a business, we're in, we're in a pretty good place with demand for our genetics. Um, we've produced a pretty good product, and, and we've got demand. I think I sold bulls into 27 states this year. So it's, you know, we're, we, my father, again, you talk about the experience and stuff, and I, I respect he has built up a product that is known nationally and worldwide. Um, I was down in Uruguay last summer. And I had a guy from South Africa come up to me, show me a picture of the South African grand champion Angus Bull, and it was the son of one of the bulls that we raised. I mean, one of the coolest things I've ever had happen. But, uh, you know, that's that respect thing. I, I can't – I've learned more about cattle from him than anybody. So if I can continue to build off his knowledge and continue to grow our operation through his knowledge, um, that's really where I'd like to be. Definitely, yeah. Uh, keep ourselves uh, diversified and um, somewhat, but uh, just – Buying land is, yeah, like Jake said, just almost impossible sometimes. So um, leasing is probably our best option. But uh, we try to, for future, looking forward, um, just try to pay down some debt in the good times and, and prepare for the bad times and hope those bad times aren't absolutely terrible. <laughs> but just set ourselves up better, too, because riding around the countryside with Grandpa, checking pastures, uh, he points at the pieces of land that he has owned at one time or just had traded for the ranch and, and our stuff he had opportunity on and passed up and it was connecting with ours and, and just at the end of the day when we park it in the garage he says you know you notice everything I pointed at pretty much touches ours and at one time it, I thought it was going to get cheaper and it has never gotten cheaper so just he just uh, hammers down the point of uh, always preparing yourself for the future and, and not not stick your neck out too far and being conservative just so the opportunities do come up you can and uh, that, that way we can maybe grow and uh, at least have, um, if we do want to simplify and not diversify, which doesn't sound like a good idea, but it, it would be great just for simplicity purposes, um, just have a one entity that supports uh, several families and, and uh, uh, an employee and gives back to the community and, and uh, just uh, the industry as well, and just but not to be too big that we don't know our mama cows and, and uh, can't serve our customers. Well, with that, it's all about serving the industry, as you just said, and 
you've all been on this 10-day Young Cattlemen's Conference, seeing every single aspect of the beef cycle, which is amazing. Every aspect. In, in, our, in our next podcast, to our listeners out there, we will get in, into more depth about what the Young Cattlemen's Conference is w- and uh, the opportunities that it serves so many in the in the livestock industry but how do you want to advocate now for agriculture whether that's at the county state or national level or international level like like jake really gets to what how has this trip changed your your perspective on talking about your lifestyle and the importance of talking about it especially here in washington dc so when i very first started in college i started in the animal science and um, I had that opportunity to be a beef ambassador for the state where we advocated on the state level. We went to farm field days and in the state fair and had a booth and things like that. And after I had that experience, I changed my major to ag communications. That's how come I'm, you know, I'm still in school. I, I had a major switch. And uh, I have wanted to advocate, be a part of this industry in that aspect ever since then. And and this uh, this has provided me with the... A more in-depth opportunity to do it coming from a cow-calf operation in northern utah i didn't know much after we put those cows on the put those calves on the trucks i knew where they went but i didn't know the process of how they got there and uh this has been an opportunity so i can be able to more clearly share what we do and how we try our best to provide and and how we we take the best care of these animals as we possibly can these animals take care of us and and that's the message that we want to portray is that they take care of us so that we take care of them and just the opportunity itself has been a a life-changing opportunity for me because I do hope to you know we've been talking about how sometimes you have to subsidize the ranch with an outside job and and that's I would love to be able to to do that in some aspect of in this industry. The things that echo in my head when we go to bed at the end of the day here is uh, share your story, and it's a marathon, not a sprint. But only one of those relates to beef advocacy. (laughs) We were uh, just seeing that we need to share our story (laughs) more closely relates to this, but uh, we've heard it so much everywhere. And it just it jumped up and, and just waved it in our faces. Hey, we are really not sharing our story. We're doing a crappy job at it. We're at uh, McDonald's headquarters, and they're talking about sustainability efforts and how they're going to help cut methane and CO2 emissions. Um, and they got to the slide about how McDonald's is going to reach down and give us a lending hand at learning new practices such as <laughs> no-till farming, cover crops, <laughs> rotational grazing. And I just, I all but screamed. I took a lot of me just not to freak out at her and just, just blow up. But I, it just, we've been doing these things for probably 50 years. I'd say not everybody, obviously, but 95% of them has. There's literally conferences called No-Till Conference on the Plains. But there's <coughs> just a frustration that they, they're they an important part of the chain. They have a huge stage, and uh, for them to not know exactly what we're doing, and it's a sophisticated process, everything we do, for someone to just jump in and learn, because we couldn't jump in and learn what they do at their desks every day. Um, just being able to... Uh, take the time to share our story, do things like this and get out away from the farm and not stay there and break our backs and cross our arms and point fingers at home. It's just a huge, that'd be a huge piece for advocacy right there, just getting out there and, and, and showing the exact things we do and how far we've came in efficiency-wise and sustainability, if they want to call it that. But 
we're right there with them. The land is a the land is a a direct uh, predictor of how how good your business is doing because it if you're treated poorly, it's not going to treat you back well. You said something there that kind of caught my attention, and I think we all have those old guys back home sitting in the coffee shop to sit back and and bark about how bad things are, how things are are never going to change, or how they're just getting worse. And not only should we be advocating to our consumers or telling our story to the outside world, but we should be telling the outside world story to our to our community, to the our fellow ranchers back home in our towns, because you know they they don't know yep. these these old guys. They they I mean I'm not going to say they're set in their ways, but they are pretty stubborn, and they they just don't. I don't feel like they see. I I I didn't know, they, they and I'm not sure how many of them fully understand the process that these cows go through. Right. And uh, well, I think I I agree with you guys, 110 percent. Um, everything you guys said is very accurate. I think the thing that shocked me the most was the threats. Uh, we went into the Denver office at NCBA, and they have a room. It's full TV screens, and it's called the Digital Control Center. I had no idea NCBA had anything like this. One of the screens is probably 42 inches, and they can go through and <coughs> sorry, uh, they can look at every single Facebook post that's trending right now, every news story, every Twitter feed, every Snapchat, or I don't know all the social medias. You're a guru, but um, and and they look at that, and they look at every word in those posts, and if it says beef or fake meat or you know, impossible burger, they've got all these different metrics set up. If it comes across, it pops up on their screen. And if it gains traction, it, they've got bar graphs on there showing, you know, how many posts each one of these things is doing. If it gains traction, they call the NCBA office in Washington and say, hey, is this something we need to watch? Do we need to get on this? Do we need to make a press statement? Do we need to start talking about this? Do we need to get on the Hill and talk to our congressmen and our senators about this so they know what's coming up? And, you know, I always knew NCBA was a, you know, it was a good organization. It fought for cattlemen. I had no idea what in the hell they did. And coming there and seeing that, seeing the whole process, the whole chain, I don't think that anybody that's in the industry that hasn't been to one of those offices or been on a YCC trip understands what they do. Um, so I would encourage everybody that's in the cattle industry to get involved um, I, I always thought I was involved. You know, I went to the state meetings. I went to Uruguay. I went to Europe. I was pushing beef. Hey, everybody should eat beef. I, I didn't have a clue what I was talking about. Um, so I think you need to get involved. You need to see these things. And I'm not saying NCBA is the only one out there, but there are a lot of state affiliates, a lot of state organizations, local organizations, county organizations, your 4-H, your FFA. They can help you get involved and help you educate producers kids um and that's that's one thing we've had a long talk about numerous times on this trip is is where do we start you know every school used to have an egg program um they used to have an egg teacher there's a lot of schools that don't anymore i know in our county they take every fourth grade class in our county uh to farm fair they call it, and they go out to a ranch and they get to milk a cow and pet a sheep and learn about make it make ice cream make ice cream in a coffee can actually uh and so my wife goes on that trip every year with her class. And <coughs> she's always asked me to go and get involved with it. And I'll, I don't have time for that. You know, we're busy. I, it, 
this trip has showed me that we need to start with those kids because they're getting indoctrinated the other way. Um, and we need to start teaching them about farming and about ranching because every generation that comes along gets further and further removed from farming, from ranching, where their food com comes from, and knowing the practices that go into creating that food. And we do. As Farmers and Ranchers of America, we are the most efficient. We are the most sustainable. We create the best product. Um, we create more beef with less cows than we ever have in the history of the world. So for all these outside organizations and, and uh, big corporations to tell us we need to be sustainable, I fully believe we are the most sustainable industry in our country. We've been doing it for 200 years and ha only have become more efficient. I don't know that there's another industry that can say that. Back, back to your NCBA comment, when we got there and saw so many people fighting for us every day, telling our story, sharing us and defending us, it was pretty neat to see them do that. And some of those people that haven't, didn't really come from cattle operations, a few of them haven't, and they just, they care passionately about it. But seeing that, it almost, it's like infectious. It spread like the the weight on their shoulders to us and we just we felt the need to to go and do something ourselves besides just pay our dues it's just it really just took over us and we took it with us all the way through chicago and dc and it was, it was a great feeling i think i mean we started in denver and we went to chicago and, and here we are in dc and i think every step of the way we've just become more educated more involved how much ncb actually does for us like like jake and reese was saying I had no idea what they actually did, how many gears were actually turning behind the scenes. And we got a good in-depth in look, but I don't think we still know the half of what they actually do for us from the sounds of it, the work they do up here on, on Capitol Hill and and just the battles that they fight that we probably never even hear about. And the work, I, I'm, I'm extremely grateful that I think the reason our industry is as sustainable as Jake's talking about is organizations like NCBA. You know, one thing, one phrase that we've heard, I think, twice on this trip from different people, and it, it came from two different people, two different organizations that were saying it in two completely different contexts. And it's probably my favorite phrase we've heard the whole time. And uh, it's not if you're, it, the, the saying goes, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. And if you're on the menu, eventually you're going to be on the plate. And this this talk for 10 days about advocacy and getting involved we need to be at that table and most farmers and ranchers don't want to get away they can't get away because they're too busy they have too many things to do well i'm telling you if after seeing everything we've seen in 10 days if we aren't at that table we will go away we will be on that menu and uh you, you can sit back home in montana and complain about the prices and the policies and everything else but if you don't get involved don't complain I, that's people complain about the president. If you didn't vote, don't complain. Same thing. You know, get out there and do it. Be a part of it. Get at the table. Um, before I came here, I, I, I heard a lot of complaints from producers that NCBA was on the uh, round table, global round table for sustainable beef. Uh, people didn't like that with the World Wildlife Federation and different organizations that don't necessarily like animal agriculture. But us being at that table, we can defend ourselves. If we're not there, we're not going to defend ourselves. We can't. So we do have to have an, or an organization that's at the table with people and, and different organizations that don't like us. 
Yeah, at the round table. You'll be on the menu at lunch if you're not there. I think something that we can also take away from this is the fact that the squeaky wheel gets the grease. I think we've all heard that saying, and and our not our adversaries, but those against us are definitely a squeaky wheel. And you notice how much attention PETA or H, you know, these these organizations like that are getting. I think that we could get just as much attention and get just as much done as they do, or more, if we were as loud as they were. And then we look at that, the importance of beef promotion to consumers as well. What what have been the big takeaways that you've learned on this trip about the importance of education on the nutrition stance and just getting beef's message out there and how they share beef's message and why it is for dinner? You know, I think that's been huge. Uh, Learning about it, for me, um, Burger King's coming out with the Impossible Whopper. You go and you look at the the ingredients on that plant-based protein product, multiple ingredients, multiple processed ingredients, and they talk about they want natural. Well, they just took a plant, processed every part of it, and turned it into a burger. If you don't want processed food, that is the definition of processed food. Um, going to the fake meat. They want natural product. That's as far from natural as we can get. I mean, that is the definition of a GMO. It's a genetically modified organism. Um, beef provides a lot of nutrients, uh, tons of them, and, and with one ingredient. It's the best protein product out there. Um, on the consumer side, I think it's been interesting for us. You know, all of our grocery stores used to have butcher blocks. They used to cut meat in the store. Now everything is coming what they call case ready. It's pre-cut, pre-wrapped, it's convenience. It's all about convenience. Um, so that's been interesting to see, which I, d- I don't care if they're, as long as they're eating beef, it doesn't matter to me. Um, the other cool thing we've seen is how much more prime there is. You know, the prime beef, the percentage of prime beef has gone up 4%, I think. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, 4% in the last couple of years. And I mean, just in the grocery stores, you can just walk in and buy prime. You used to not be able to do that. Um, so that's been cool, just kind of seeing the, the different aspects of the consumer side of it and seeing how they're how they're. So as a rancher, you you pay your $1 per head beef checkoff fee. Yep, I do. And uh, <coughs> I know there's some litigation going on, and we don't know all of it because it's ongoing and they can't talk about it. But it's been, uh, I guess for me, when I was at the NCBA, NCBA office in Denver is when it really hit me that I don't know why, as beef producers, we are fighting amongst ourselves. Uh, we need to get united. We don't need to be suing each other. We don't need to be going through this. Um, we, we have enough people out there that want to see us go out of business. We need to have an advocacy group. And right now, we're as bad as they are in Washington as being politically divided. And it's just getting worse. Last night we went on we went on a, a tour of of the national park here, and our tour guide took us to see the the Lincoln Monument and was telling us some really cool stories. But as I was sitting there listening to him and thinking, what Jake was just talking about really resounded with me of how a house divided cannot stand, as as how Abraham Lincoln put it. And you know, we are we're kind of tearing ourselves down right now. As if if we can 
build up and unify, then we'll be a lot stronger and we can get a lot more accomplished for ourselves and for our country rather than squabble and fight and tear ourselves down. Yeah, it's a small, you know, less than 3% of the population that's just consuming itself almost sometimes. But at the end of the day, looking at, at the far end of the production line, it's, it's uh, you can beat it up all you want, but it's a simple natural product that has so many benefits nutritionally and it's just it's up to now uh how it's perceived and packaged <laughs> and presented to our changing consumers and having somebody do that for us and do all that great research and and uh development for us meaning the checkoff is is pretty neat because it's we can't follow things that far and manage that stuff now i think last night so, so for our listeners out there, we recorded this uh, show on June 6, 2019, on the 75th anniversary of the D-Day in- invasions of Normandy. And, you know, we talk about being able to raise a great product, the best, best protein out there. And it was just so moving last night, being at the World War II Memorial. And many of us had the opportunity to actually read 20 names each of the fallen that uh, gave the ultimate sacrifice to invade Normandy and defeat evil and look them straight in the eye. Um, I just think that was such a great opportunity to be a part of that and to honor those people. And uh, I, don't, I know that's <laughs> different from our ranching conversation, but we wouldn't be able to do what we do here without the sacrifices that the men and women that have fought in all of our wars and defended our liberties and our rights. I, I just, I was so moved and honored to be able to be a part of that last night. That was really emotional and it's really special. We'll probably, I don't think we're going to do that again. So, And it just makes us feel like what we've done for our lives at this point, we feel pretty small because they've, they've done so much by just going to fight for our country. Yeah, I think, just like you said, Reese, it's a... Uh, as ranchers, we're supposed to be tough, not show emotion. You know, we are we are the rock. Uh, and last night, I don't know how many, was it 25 or 30 probably red names? This is a big chunk, yeah. yeah. Yeah, 25 or 30 of us. And I'm not saying everybody cried, but there was more emotions in, the night, in that group of 25 to 30 ranchers than I've probably ever seen in my life. And it was, it was an experience we'll never get to do again. I think the ones that didn't read were probably the ones that, we're concerned they couldn't hold it together <laughs> all the way through. It's just it yeah. was pretty yep. moving. Yep. I think we all know those service members in our families or our communities and and the World War Two vets especially are are they're getting few and far between. And I I can't I can't say how much I appreciate what they've done. My three of my great grandpas served in, in that, that conflict and I've read a good amount of their stories and the things that they've seen, the things they've witnessed. I'm I'm proud to say that they're they're in my heritage, that I was a part of their family and I'll forever be grateful for their sacrifices and, and their conflicts. Yep. Well we live in the greatest nation on earth that lets us uh make a great living out in the countryside. Uh gentlemen, we've been talking for over an hour here. I know we could continue to talk. Should we get some beers? We should get some beers here (laughs) this morning. Mimosas, probably, (laughs) since it's uh, before 11 here. (laughs) But uh, I'm just going to give you all the floor to to share some final comments on, you know, your experiences uh, going back or going to be going back to to your family operations and just any tips you have for for fellow ranchers out there about uh, staying involved and being a part of the greatest uh, industry on, on earth that is 
producing food and fiber. First I guess, I guess I'll, I'll start. Yeah. Uh, we've talked a couple of times about thinking out of the box or how it's a rich man's game to get into this industry. We can't do it with just cows. And one thing that I have noticed is in this group of 55, 60 individuals, almost every single person has something else that are helping them. And I don't think it's shameful at all to be able to say, I'm a superior rep and I raise cows. Growing up, it was kind of, I just want to raise cows. But there's there's a turn in our industry that we need to be able to provide the best product we can and the best life for our families we can as well. And I think for me, going back, it's going to be thinking out of the box. How can I become the most involved with my family outfit while providing the best life for my family as I possibly can? Yeah, that's, that's a huge piece of that. The work-life balance is extremely important. And uh, But uh, under... To get to understand that, you just have to go out and, like we all did, and, and just get out of our comfort zone to places we didn't know hardly anybody, and and throw ourselves in the in the pit and learn and and grow and fight our way out of that and bring those experiences homes and definitely bring a wife home before we go to the ranch. <laughs> You're smart, Sage. <laughs> I brought mine home also, but uh, that that is a, a huge and having that perspective all the way through and understanding that thinking bigger than what you're doing at home because just thinking you're going to raise cattle is at home is great, but understand the whole line. Go to the, go to the end and work your way back. Go to the packing, go to the grocery store, packing plant, all your way through, and work your way back and understand how your, where your product goes and what the demands are and what why you're paid what you are. And you have you'll have so many different avenues from that to understand that there's uh, different ways to grow your business and change your business and involve others. Yeah, I, I mean you guys hit most of the points I was gonna hit. Um, just a couple that were going through my mind when you guys were talking is, you know, we talked about respect. We talked about the family aspect. And I think one of the hardest things for us to remember as younger, the younger generation coming back, but also as the older generation being there and your wife being involved is we are a family. Um, it, it's not like the landscaping company I worked for where somebody doesn't get along, I'm a fire. I send them down the road. That's not how this is. You don't fire your family. I mean, you do if you have to in the business, but they're still your family. I see that because um, you're kind of a hard ass. Yeah, you know, I, I <laughs> tried to fire my dad one day. It didn't go well. <laughs> but No, I, I really do. I mean, I think it's a super important thing to remember is that at the end of the day, we are family and conflict resolution. Or however we need to do it, y- you need to keep the family intact. Um Another really important thing that we've been dealing with on our operation is the succession plan. You don't have that. You have more than one sibling. Chances are your ranch, your farm is going away because everybody gets along until somebody passes away and there's millions of dollars on the table. Um, and, and that was one thing my, my mom and dad and I had to talk about. I said, I'm not coming back unless I know that in 20 years when you're gone, it's mine. I'm not splitting it up. I'm not going to give up 20 years of my life and then have to go be a male nurse at the hospital. I I, I want to know that this is what I'm going to do forever. Um, so I guess those are two of the biggest the biggest tips I have. And um, you know, there's there's a thousand different aspects to look at coming back as father or son. But 
I think those are two of the biggest ones is making sure that your legacy and your heritage can continue on and remembering that we're family and putting that first. That's what I had scribbled down here that I couldn't read was a succession plan. And now that you bring, I'm glad you brought that up before we wrap this up because uh, a startling figure that was shared with me at a succession planning workshop in Montana this uh, past winter was in Montana alone only, what was it, seven, 75% farms and ranches in Montana do not have a succession plan in place. 75%, it's the state's number one industry. So if you think that's happening in Montana, you know what's happening in Utah, you know what's happening in Nebraska. Definitely. What what what, what are your family's plans, Reese? Well, they were they started a little bit late. Well, they actually for the most, I mean, generally speaking, they probably started really early on family succession planning because it's just what I feel like some of the farmers and ranchers see or fear is that Succession planning means I'm handing over everything gradually. Well, you are on paper, but you're setting it up so much better for the generations after you to to carry on your legacy and keep growing and building something you work so hard to do and other generations work so hard to do and build. So it's it's it sounds big and scary, but it's it's essentially a lot of paper and not not much really changes, but obviously management shifts anyways as time goes on and it's just a huge burden to just dump on somebody is really I would say it's not fair and it's not great to do that to your to your offspring just to throw things at them like that but what what was the saying that uh, in agriculture not everything's fair well and to touch on that equal isn't fair yes um, yeah you know I think that's one thing we run into a lot with succession planning is and siblings yeah and siblings is you got four kids well they should each get a fourth um uh, my neighbor is going through that right now. He's been on the same place for 55 years. His mom passed away. He has three siblings, not a single one of them. Two of them have never been back since the day they left. Um, and then the other one lives 10 miles away and has nothing to do with the ranch whatsoever. Well, mom passed away, and it split 25%. And he, I mean, it. they'll get paid enough money to survive, but... He's been there 55 years and thought he'd end up with it, and he's going to have to move into town um, and not have a very good nest egg. Um, so, I mean, that's that's one of the hardest things, and I, I look at it with my kids. That's, that's a tough deal, but equal isn't fair. Well, I tell you what, we covered a lot, and I truly enjoyed this conversation. And uh, might have got more eventful if we did have a Mosa, Jake. <laughs> but uh, to our listeners out there, thank you so much for joining us here on the, the first edition of NCBA's Cattleman Call. We're going to continue to have conversations like this with the livestock producers and the industry leaders or, over the next year. Uh, I, I've enjoyed this conversation, and, and I look forward to, to meeting more people in the industry and, and just sharing their stories. Because that, that's our goal. We just want to share our stories, and we want to help educate each other. Tell your story, yep. Yep. Yep, communication. But uh, anything else that you guys want to share uh, before we wrap up and, and head to the rest of the day here in D.C.? I'm just grateful for the opportunity to come on YCC. Uh, I'm grateful for the Utah Cattlemen sending me out here. and I, this, is, this is one of those things I'll remember for the rest of my life, and it's going to influence the rest of my life. Same. Thank you, Montana Stock Growers, for, for putting the time and the money in to get me here and uh, taking care of me. It's an experience I'll never forget, one that's changed my view of the industry immensely and and i just for anybody that's listening that's not an ncba member isn't involved in your state affiliates 
get involved. Get to the table. Don't be on the menu. Yes, thank you, Nebraska Cattlemen and NCBA for for uh, selecting us for this and putting this on. It's a huge investment for them, and they really took a, a big uh, investment in and belief in us as leaders and putting us together and hoping we'll do good things and hope we don't uh, let them down. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much uh, for for the great talk that we had here today and uh, congratulations on making it through the 2019 Young Cattlemen's Conference and uh, good luck in, in your adventures at home and uh, I, I wish you success. Good prices of course and uh, rain when you need it and drought when you don't need it. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, again, thank you so much to our listeners and make sure and subscribe uh, to NCBA's Cattlemen Call on all the podcast platforms, whether that is the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, or the SoundCloud app as well. Again, my name is Lane Nordland. Happy to be hosting and hosting this conversation with our livestock producers from across the nation on NCBA's Cattleman Call. We'll catch you next time. We're going to talk about the entirety of the Young Cattlemen's Conference with three outstanding leaders that wrapped up on our next edition of this podcast. That'll do it for today. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with Lane Nordland. For more information, visit ncba.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.